you're, you're, it's a win-win. The bosses are winning because they're making a profit, and the people are winning because so, they're less stressed. And and now with gas prices going up, you know our employees, you know they're everybody's really happy that they don't have to you know drive in. Yeah. Um, that they can still stay stay home. So that's that's a win even even from from that angle. But um, think things are are moving along. It's kind of getting into that new normal. Um, whenever we have meetings, people always assume it's going to be a Zoom meeting. Like you, before COVID, you know people would have said Zoom, what's that? And and why why would I want to you know do a virtual meeting and and now that's kind of the expected norm. And the will you meet in our offices thing is actually the exception. And and that's the thing that feels weird now. It's like, oh, you want us to come to your office? What's your masking policy? You know? <laughs> like, how should what what should we be prepared for? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's interesting. It's weird, isn't it? It's just it's um, it, it and the thing is is that there's some things that. Before all this was happening, you know, I would look forward to like a trip somewhere, you know, or, and now I, I, I don't want to waste the gas. I don't want to, um, waste the money on an airline ticket when there's, uh, stuff I need to do here, you know, and I can always have a day trip, you know, it, 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 it it's just too expensive to travel now. Yep, that's true. But at some point we're going to get go stir crazy, so we'll have to uh, have, have to find a, a place to go and and be with other people and that sort of thing. No, I oh I I mean yeah I'm talking I'm just talking about going to like I we would go um I my brothers lived in San Diego for a long time, but I've only lived here for about seven eight years, so we would go on little day trips to different places that I had never been before. I, I mean, I came to San Diego many times, but I haven't seen everything that's here. And now, with the gas prices and everything, we're both like, we'll wait till the gas prices come down. <laughs> well, COVID has changed a lot. Like with our magazine, with Dreamforge, um, that we we established that in 2019, really as primarily a quarterly print magazine, and that was the main thing that we we did. And with 2020 and 2021 disruptions in postal delivery, you know, um, uh, basically, you know, having just a hard time just working with people and getting things done. Um, last year, for instance, we went uh, just online kind of thing, but what we had to learn to do was do ebooks as well. So in 2021, Dreamforge was was online in our readers portal, and then we figured out how to make ebooks, and we figured out how to get on Amazon and get our ebooks on Amazon. And so it was a big learning experience just to, to survive because we really had to make that decision of, of you know, do we do we shut things down? How do we keep this going? Because we really like to do it. You know, it's a passion project for my wife and I. And um, so we decided to simply go online. And, and then this year, as things are starting to get more back to normal, we're, we're starting to dip our toe back into that idea of, of uh, sending out, like, print subscription copies and, and um you know, so we're we're looking at that this year, and we we even got a Kickstarter going where we're we're trying to to get back into that through through the Kickstarter. That's really cool. Uh, one of the things that that we did with the magazine, um, 
having the magazine, like we weren't in publishing before. This was a new thing for us that we, we learned as we got into doing Dreamforge. And we had, you know, this was the first time that I had to sit as an editor and read through thousands of manuscripts or, you know, at least partially through thousands of manuscripts. And, and I was seeing over and over again what I felt were the weaknesses that, that you know, especially beginning writers were coming to, to the field with and, and the um, problems that, that they had and what they weren't noticing. And so last year, since um, we weren't, you know, dealing with all the print stuff, we created a Patreon support group that's called Dreamcasters. And now we have a number of beginning to intermediate writers who are, who we're working with and we have monthly meetings and we have writing challenges and we work on that kind of thing and and uh, you know we've seen some um, you know definite improvement in, in trying to get across the idea of how you structure a story and um, I know with your connection with with um, uh, Elwin Hubbard's writers of the future um, one of the things that I, that I can say that uh, is is that here in the first quarter of 2022 we see that um, there's like eight of our Dreamcasters that are um, on honorable mentions and uh, a silver honorable mention for, for another one. So, so we'll, we take that as a sign that we must be doing something right. That, that um, you know, and, and I don't take that as, as complete, hey, we, we are the ones who are making sure that, that they're writing that well, but because these are all serious people and they're all definitely, you know, devoted to it and they, a lot of them also work with um, Wolf Moon, who's a Writers of the Future winner, and acts as a mentor to them. So, but, but you know, they're serious and they're working together and they're working with us, and, and you can you know see the results of results of that. And and I don't think we'd be doing any of that if it weren't for you know the the COVID years. So even when bad things happen like that, it's like hey, there's a pandemic. You don't know what good is going to come out of it. You just kind of have to see where does this take you. Where are you going to put your energy and talents because this has diverted some of some of that, and then you end up, you know, meeting a lot of nice people and working with beginning writers and helping them to, you know, get better at their careers or establish their careers, and and um, all of that wouldn't have happened, you know, without without uh, without COVID happening because we would have just been off in in our previous direction. So so I find that fascinating too is that that you know even when something very disruptive happens you you don't know what interesting things or what good paths might come out of that later yeah actually i think that's one of the interesting things in life is that when something goes wrong you actually learn more uh, valuable lessons than when everything's going smoothly oh yeah that's definitely definitely true i mean you know like uh, women working uh, in like from the 1920s, that beca- that came because in World War One they were working. That the whole women's movement came because there were no men. Yep, you have to get the job done, and and Rosie the Riveter, and and all that kind of thing. No, well, it actually was in World War One. It was even before Rosie the Riveter. For Rosie, okay. Yeah, because um, uh, especially in Britain, that's why they had. Uh, the movement first was uh, they had a great deal of loss from World War One, and we weren't even in the war at the mm-hmm. time that they had the loss. So pe- men were going to be coming back because they were dying on the fields of France, and uh, you know women. That's when women started becoming secretaries and stuff like that because 
Only men were doing that before. That was a big deal. You know, people's like, oh, a secretary. Well, all that was available to a woman before uh, the office working kind of things became open from World War One uh, was you could be a servant, you could be a governess, and you could be a waitress. And that was about it. Oh, and maybe a shop girl. But it depended on the shop. Not all shops had shop girls. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I, my, my generation is the generation like like right after that where it was, I was starting to see, kind of the women's liberation movement and 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 women getting into more things, but you know before that it was it was it was like very difficult. Even though that the things you're talking about from world, I mean it didn't just all happen instantly. There was the World mm-hmm. War One stuff, World War Two stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know um, locally here, um, uh, we have a restaurant that's local that that uh, is owned. Um, you know, she's probably retired now, but but she was like a nuclear engineer, but uh, before she retired and and, and started a restaurant. Uh, but um, she tells tales of how she wasn't going to be let into the field. It's like uh, as soon as they knew she was a woman, it's like, well, you can't be serious. We're not going to let you work on this stuff. And how difficult it was to convince anybody that, you know, she had the skills and and the ability to, you know, work on these systems and and um, and do that and be one of the first in those fields. So, so you know, it's it's and been very difficult. And um, like my wife um, Jane, um, she actually started our business, um, uh, our web business that that we work at, and um, you know, that's something that you know, just to to say, well, I'm going to start a business and and found it isn't something that would have happened, you know, just two or three generations previously. So, um, so it is, is just, you know, things like, you know, wars can cause societal changes that, that can uh, be very, you know, beneficial, and you wish it wouldn't, you know, take really bad things to, to make some progress happen, but, but sometimes that's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It, that's why I, I, um, I like the styles, and I like um, the literature and stuff that came from 1920s, but 1920s wasn't a nice time. There was a lot of bad stuff that was happening during that time. So, you know, every era has that. Even if it's it seems idolized, and you see it in like movies like The Great Gatsby and things like that, it looks so romantic. But if you read the book, The Great Gatsby, because they don't always put it in the films. It is not a nice time. There's a lot of bad stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and people working their way through it, and yeah. in working their way through it, making things a little better for, for the next generation. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you've um, seen uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's the yes, I love Star Trek it. I, love, I haven't seen um, the new one yet, so don't tell me about yeah, the new one. Okay, I won't tell you about <laughs> the new one. Did you, see the first, did you see the first episode? I saw all the first three. I just haven't seen okay. this week. All right. All right. I'm not going to talk about that. But what, what I thought was very interesting, uh, in Star Trek mythology, going all the way back to the original series, there's, there's the idea that before you get to the Federation, which is you know, semi-utopian, it, it's you know, a, a better uh, united Earth and, and more diversity and all that, that before you get there, there's like nuclear war, eugenics uh, war, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like they had to go through really horrible things before they could get to there. And, and 
Um, I, I saw them double down on that in the first episode mm -hmm. of, of Star Trek Strange New Worlds where, where they actually talk about and then there was America's second civil war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then there was, and then there was and then there was the nuclear war and you know that And the so, eugenics so, war and World yeah, War Three. So, so, so you get the sense that, that you know, they they kind of even doubled down on that idea that we're talking about is that and obviously we don't want there to be a nuclear war and, and us to go through a, a civil a second civil war here, but but it's just that idea that that when you're talking about things that are progress and social justice and that sort of thing, that that because somebody has a utopian vision doesn't mean that they're saying, and this is going to be easy or this is going to come without great cost or that there's not going to be great hardship to to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Um, and I thought that was just very interesting as I saw it in the, the new series. Well, I think that was um – if you looked at the cage, the original script that this whole thing came from, mm -hmm. uh, that was part of it. I mean, he he wanted you to see how we worked our way through tragedy in order to have this world that was peaceful and mm -hmm. and uh, and looking and exploring and not conquering and and that everybody was equal and everybody was welcome. Although there, you know, there's still going to be animosities and stuff like that. You know, poor Spock gets a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> the but guy who's playing, both the two guys that are playing Pike and Spock, and and the girls doing Uhura. Yes, I I, I don't remember her name at the moment. The uh, Pike is Anson Mount, and Spock I think is Ethan Peck, yes. the grandson of. Gregory Peck, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, and I was like, I didn't know that. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a, that's an acting background. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. That's, that's, a, that's a legacy, because Gregory Peck was a great actor. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that, and I, I was, because I, I never heard of him, so I was looking up his uh, background. Oh, wow, Gregory Peck. <laughs> But um, oh, and uh, Rebecca Romaine. I, I, if you notice in the credits, it says and Rebecca Romaine. You know that's because she's the only one who has been established in series and is a really known entity. Everybody else had worked, but that's why she got that. That's a negotiated thing. When you see oh, okay. and this person or with this person or a special guest star, this person, that isn't a given to them. That's something that's negotiated. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So that's why she has that in the credits. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't recognize the girl that plays her. I don't, I, I didn't recognize, uh, she had some credits, but I didn't recognize her credits. But she's got a voice like this, Shell Nichols. I was, like, really appreciative of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the nice things about um, Strange New Worlds is just you're, in just a few episodes you're getting to know more of the bridge crew and, and understand the, the personalities of the crew than, um, like, we also watch Star Trek Discovery, which which I like, and we've watched every show, but um, after, like, four years, I still don't really know who the bridge crew is, and, and Strange New Worlds is, uh, is, is just, you know, bringing a lot of people's personalities out and, and making you aware of, like, who's who's actually you know, on the bridge as, as the, the command crew. And so I, I appreciate that, too. 
Did you see but, who um, the producer is, the executive producer? Uh, no, I can't remember at the moment. Eugene Roddenberry. Rod, oh, okay. Rod okay, Roddenberry, Gene's yeah, son. That, yeah. So, yeah, I think they're keep, yeah, they're, he's there to make sure they stick with his daddy's script. <laughs> <laughs> but why I started down this whole path was basically the idea of, of that concept of, of struggling through hardship to, you know, make a better world is kind of what's behind our magazine with, with Dreamforge because, um, you know, when you make a magazine where you're talking about, like, Hope Punk and Solar Punk and you're basically saying that, you know, uh, things are not just going to be a dystopian apocalypse, um, a lot of times people get that sense of, well, you're just writing Pollyannish stories and everything's going to be okay. And and that's not at all what we're looking for from 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 our authors. We're really looking for that um, vision that goes beyond the troubles um you know it's like the human adventure is just beginning it's like we're still going to be working through difficult things but but where do we how do we work through them where do we go how do communities work together to overcome things um you know so we we definitely kind of want that sense so it's just not oh well here's what it would look like if everything was perfect it's it's like okay well here's here's a vision of something that's a little better and how did that happen or what problems are they having you know that that kind of thing. So I think that one of the problems with the Estonian universe is it's so bloody depressing, and the world right now is kind of depressing as it is. I, I think people are kind of sick of it, and the thing that with the uh, like the new Star Trek, uh, it's a positive outlook. It, it's not perfect. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems they're going through. They each have their own individual problems. There's in, there's problems with intergalactic stuff. There's you know it's not a perfect world. But then the original Star Trek wasn't a perfect world. There was a lot of problems there too. That that's there's always going to be problems. But it doesn't have to be the world's going to end. We're going to blow ourselves up. I mean, even if it might happen, I don't want to see that. I want to see that there's hope. <laughs> well, yes, and and well, one of the things that you said there is interesting because I always try to look at things from a slightly different perspective, and and even take a, a, a you know higher perspective, and and some, you know sometimes I annoy people by doing that, but but when you just said people are sick of it, that actually, if you think about it, that's a luxury that we have. We mm -hmm. can be sick about it, and we can think about things should change, and we should do something about it. And that's not something that's always existed in history. Yeah. You know, if you go back, if you're in, in England in the early, you know, 800s or whatever, and the Vikings are raiding or whatever, it's like there's nothing you can do. You know, <laughs> there's there's simply going to be war. Um, uh, you know, people are people are going to be fighting for territory and. Um, you know, if you're the monks in the monastery that the Vikings are coming after, you don't have a lot of chance of survival. Um, and I doubt that people, you know, uh, thought and looked ahead and said, and the future can be better. They just thought this is the awful thing that's happening, and they probably just always had that thought, and, and oh, hopefully the world's going to end soon, and, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. So, so we actually have a luxury to be able to say, and we want to affect how the future happens. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, so that, that I think is something that's a little different. And, and we can think of ways and imaginative ways to potentially do that. We can think of, how, well, how do we, 
if climate change is a problem, how do we replace fossil fuels? How do we use solar power? Um, you know, if racism is a, if racism is a problem, how do we bring about social justice? And and so we have the luxury of actually being able to to think about and plan and form communities to to try to make a difference. That at previous times in history, that opportunity didn't exist at all. You well, just you just were in the world you were in, and it was going to be like that for the next 500 or the next thousand years, and that's just the way it is. That's true, but the thing is, is that I don't think I would have formed that thought if I hadn't grown up watching Star Trek. Ah. And also the. Well, Star Trek did. Star Trek did teach us everything we need to know about life. So. You know. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean that. I mean about the future I... and that a positive projection can do a world of wonder in a very negative time because if you remember when Star Trek the original show was on life was not good uh, no, 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 uh, 67, 68 and 69 the was the, one yeah. of the three of the worst years in American, well actually world history <laughs> so uh, the only good thing that happened at the end of the decade is we made it to the moon, I mean they celebrated it because it was the only decent thing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of people don't don't think of that, think of those things. So, so you know, that's not to make light of the problems that we do have and the tragedies that we do have. They're yeah. very real and yeah. and they're very painful and they're yeah. very very concerning. And and um, you know, the the world does have some very significant troubles now that have to be worked through. But I, you know, I think uh, you know certainly when I when I said Star Trek taught us everything we need to know about life it, it certainly did for me it's like I remember that as being very formative in in my childhood it's like that's where my basic some of my basic philosophies of how you engage with other people and how you you get along in the world um, you know came from is is watching how those characters interacted and and how they you know faced faced the world so um, and that's you know that's really why uh, at this at this point in my life, and my wife and I came together, and we wanted to do a magazine just because we saw how much dystopian literature was out there, but it was just you know kind of taken for granted on a lot of these stories and in a lot of fiction and things. You see, the the, the world's just going to end horribly. It's yeah. Like, you know, there's there's going going to you know not be challenges that we can work through, but that that uh, you know the next generation or the generation after that is just going to live in rubble. And um, and we don't believe that, you know. No matter how bad things get or what happens, we we don't believe that that the human race is going to be, um, you know, relegated back to you know a a pre-industrial civilization trying to survive on Twinkies in the rubble. We I, I just don't believe that. Well, and also I think one of the things that there's a, there's several good sources to learn positive things. Uh, there's science fiction shows, uh, science fiction books. There's um, really wonderful uh, movies and things like that and other books. And Just because life is difficult, life's always been difficult. I mean, it's not a new concept that there's racism, anti-Semitism, anti-woman, uh, anti-whatever. I mean, there's, uh, there's so many negativities going on right now you know what they've always been there mm -hmm. what what we we 
what happens is it it's like a river or uh the waves in an ocean that they the the waves are coming at you with a lot of bad stuff and then they withdraw and then they come back at you and then they withdraw and it's never going to stop it's how you deal with it well and and one thing that I'm always reminded of is that um in recent you know, generations, there's been a lot of material progress, a lot of technical progress, but humans as a species are still the same species. None of that changed us mm-hmm. evolutionarily. You know, we're the same creatures we were, you know, 100,000 years ago, 300,000 years ago, and a lot of the, the things that have evolved in us are, are still there, and, and we're challenged by the idea that they now have to interact with this new world that we've built. And you know, one very simple aspect of that is just the idea that if you're a hunter-gatherer and you're, you know, basically on, on the, you know, plains of, of Africa or whatever, and, you know, you, your senses have to be alert for every bit of trouble. And if you see, you know, the grass move, that could be a lion, and you really need to hype up your adrenaline response to how, how are we going to deal with this. And, and you know, that system was very fine-tuned for, for the environment that it was built in and we haven't dropped it just because in a couple hundred years we you know built a technical civilization um and now we've got social media we've got tv we've got all all this bit that that basically finds that the easiest way to get our attention and the easiest way to engage us and the easiest way to to motivate us is basically by hitting those brain centers it's like it's like let's tell you not only about the real tragedy that's here, but let's tell you why those people over there are evil or how, why they're, mm-hmm. you know, um, trying to destroy your way of life. Or Because basically it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's really a cheap way to um, uh, motivate people to, you know, be in your camp and buy your products. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is, is hit them at, at that vulnerable level. And, and um, you know, it's really, really bad now because we've never had to deal with social media and communications and all the cable channels, uh, you know, the, the way they are. And um, uh, it's something we're going to have to outgrow. I don't know how that's going to happen, but but the, the current ability of communications to silo us into these echo chambers where, where basically just, um, you know, keep feeding the beast of, of fear, um, uh, that that's a, a, a big issue. And... Um, it it may take you know a generation or two to figure out how to resolve that, but um, you know that's 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 part of our issues right now. That's true. It's really interesting when you were saying that. I was like thinking, I wonder what Paddy Chayefsky would think when he realized his uh, book and movie network was like a prediction. Prophetic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it was the reality television aspect of it, the uh, the advertising driven, the 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 uh, manipulation of the audience, all the different parts of the network, and you're like, oh my god, he predicted exactly what was going to happen in 2000s back in the 1960s. No, I'm not sorry, 1970s. That's uh, it's like 1984, except they much more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and with social media and stuff, I um, uh, have very little idea of exactly how it works, but I hear that like in China, 
um, you know, that whole idea of social media and likes and, and, and positive social points is actually being used on a, on kind of a governmental level. It's like, you know, you want to get into university, it's like, let's look at your social score. You know, how, how positive have you been toward, you know, the, the state and the society sort of thing, or, you know, that, you know, do you have negative points? It's like, oh, well, you know, you can't, you can't get that job. Um, you know, so, so there, there's a lot of uh, potential issues um, that, that are coming up and manifesting themselves. But, but again, it's, it's very easy to basically just look at the situation and say, oh, and, and there, there goes humanity. It's like, you know, we're all going to be in a horrible totalitarian society, which will soon blow itself into rubble, and then we're going to be, again, fighting over Twinkies. And, and I, I look at it. You're Twinkies, <laughs> I am obsessed with Twinkies because uh, Twinkies, you know, you know, after after the civilization ends, even though they don't make Twinkies anymore, after civilization ends, there will still be Twinkies. <laughs> they, I know. They are. The, they are. They, they. I don't even think they're actual. You know, I'm, I'm going to get sued by Twinkies people. I'm glad, but but I don't think they're actually even food there. It's just there. It's just this non-corruptible substance that can survive forever. So. So I'll, I'll come up with another example for, for my next uh, apocalyptic thing. Okay. But, I just, I just noticed what, Twinkies um, comes up a lot. You must be a big Twinkie eater. <laughs> I am, no, no, I actually actually don't. But, um, I, yeah. Uh, I do have some Oreos handy. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, but I, like, what I see, if I, if I look ahead, it's like, yes, all those problems are really there. But, for instance, the other major thing that I see happening uh, today is, is basically if you pay any attention to what's happening with, like, SpaceX and Blue Origin, and I know there are lots of people out there who, you know, hate billionaires who can take joyrides into space, but my point would be that they're not seeing the big picture. What we're seeing is the only reason billionaires can launch things into space right now is because launch costs and the technology to launch things into orbit has dropped dramatically. Um, you know, it, it used to be that, um, wasn't it? I had some numbers here, uh, like when the space shuttle was launching, uh, they could launch a kilogram of payload into orbit for $54,500. That's just a kilogram, like 2.2 pounds for, and it cost 54500 to launch that into orbit. And today's Falcon 9 does that for $2,720. And when SpaceX gets its Starship going, that's going to come down to $100 per kilogram. And NASA has a long-term goal of getting that down to, like, tens of dollars per kilogram. So what we're seeing just from the space shuttle age is not, oh, billionaires now want to play in space. What we're seeing is that the technology to move things into space has now reached a point where it doesn't need to be done by super powerful nations. It can be done by rich individuals, and soon it can be done by modestly rich corporations. And what's that going to mean? It's going to mean an enormous amount of development off-planet. Um, one of the things I, I see is, you know, that's going to allow us to start taking advantage of solar energy, um, you know, which hits Earth continuously, but you get things out into space, and they can take full advantage of just free power from the sun. Um, and that's going to be, and that's enough power to, um, you know, power civilizations 10, 20 times bigger than all of the civilizations on Earth right now. So, you know, I see the idea that at some point, when we have all these groups down here that are kind of, 
you know, chafing at each other, and it's like, oh, well, this is our philosophy of life, and this is our philosophy of life. I think it's going to be very much like in old Europe when people said, well, we're getting out of here, we're going to America, and we're going to start our own colony. I think you're going to see, you know, people basically pull, pulling their community resources together and saying, we want to have the life that we want to have, and we, why are we on this planet? And, you know, they're either going to just build habitats in space, or they're going to go to Mars, or they're going to build, you know, their own nations on the moon. Um, but there's going to be a significant, you know, exodus uh, where where people are basically going to say, well, you know, why do we want to fight about stuff down here? It's like let's let's move off and build whatever we want to build and build our own civilization. And and that's going to be something that is now affordable that technology exists for, and that that people can't people who especially who are idealists can do. They can just move off and, and do their own thing. And I think overall that's going to be much better for humanity because um, it, you know, just as, a, as a, a species, it reduces the chance that something can take out all of us, like an asteroid strike. Um, so, you know, I, I see those sorts of things happening. And, of course, they'll have problems. They'll probably, they'll probably find a way to have a war over something. But, <laughs> but, but yeah. still, it's, it's a vast, vast expansion that, um, that uh, will be – you know, very high tech and, and very, uh, you know, uh, once once you're uh, putting to use the uh, the kind of energy that, that the sun puts out all the time, it's like, you know, you um, you have the ability to make your own societies and do your own things, and it's not, uh, you know, poverty-stricken survival sort of thing. Well, one of the things I'd like to see them do that would be extremely useful, and especially somebody like Richard Branson, who's very much into ecology, is clean up the space garbage. And oh, that's it, happening. That's, it, that's, it's, it's not like big programs that are underway, but there's so lots dangerous. of technology being investigated for that right now. It is so dangerous. I mean, astronauts are endangered because of that crap that we left out there. Um, you know, the astronauts, when they go to repair the ISS, you, one tiny little tiny bit of uh, a, a, a satellite can kill them. Oh, absolutely. Um, and what I've seen uh, recently is, well, first of all, I think there have been several initiatives. I don't, I don't have the details, but they have essentially they're building nets that they will basically, just like trawling for fish, they will, you know, pick up a lot of these things in, in uh, satellite nets. They have satellites that they've um, tried with essentially kind of absorbent foam kind of things so that these things can hit the, uh, the, the foam and, and be captured. Um, but that, that's going to be a thing. It's, it's as, we, as we put more and more things into orbit, which we are, because um, SpaceX just by itself is, is plans to launch like 30,000 of their Starlink satellites, and then there are a number of other providers who are going to be doing the same kind of network. Um, it is going to get very crowded and dangerous, but um, you also have to realize that's kind of all low earth orbit stuff it's like you know we did not fill the solar system with stuff no i know <laughs> that i'm talking about so, well, so if we just clean up if we just clean up this little local shell or you know make it safe enough to get get through the little local shell it's like you know the, the rest of the universe is fine out there yeah um, i wasn't talking about the universe i was talking about yeah. you know where our space station some people don't realize that though. some people some people <laughs> when you're talking to them and you say space is full of junk but it's like they just don't have a conception of how big space really oh, no, is space is humongous and i mean we do have a few things out there but there's still work isn't it amazing 
1960s and 1970s technology, and it's still working, like uh, 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 Galileo probes. Galileo and, and uh, 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 what's the other one? The the one that's Viger Voyager. Voyager, uh, yeah. <laughs> Voyager. There's Voyager, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> There's my Star Trek. Uh, but boy, I, I, you noticed that I went Voyager. Ah, Voyager. It just went right. There you go. You have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand how that works. Uh, but that one is actually past the Oort cloud, and that's the first uh, satellite from Earth that's past the Oort cloud. So we're actually between spaces. Huh? And I it, stars. yeah, and that's really cool. So no, I mean the stuff we have out there that's that far, it's still working. It's still giving us data, so it's not actually endangering anybody. They still have control over it. But I'm talking about the you know the satellites that are like falling apart and the yep. platforms and all the other junk that's out there. That's endangering uh, the astronauts and the cosmonauts and the other people that are trying to do their job. Yep, and and you will you know you will see uh, systems capable of starting to clean that up and and um, you know make make that a little safer. That's that's going to be in the next decades ahead. It's it's still going to be a, a bit of a traffic mess for right now, but it's remarkable that they can track so much of that stuff and that when they when they do launch things, it's like. You know, they 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 almost know where each one of those nuts and bolts is. So you know, when those when those astronauts are outside, it's like they they know what's in the vicinity and what could be coming and and all that. So that that's a pretty amazing. But but there are going to be uh, technologies come along to uh, to basically start to to just clean those spaceways up. It's funny what you said before about my father used to say that quite a lot about um, that we can't really call ourselves civilized because we have not advanced socially. So we're still, like you said, the same human beings we were in Neanderthal days. You know, we're just not, we're not advancing. Um, we're, we're, um, when we start doing that, when we start accepting each other and not pitting ourselves against each other, we can start calling ourselves a civilization, but until then, we're not civilized. <laughs> yes, and and who knows how long that's going to take, or what forms it's going to take. It's like, um, at at what point do we start? Like, how will we change? Like, our bodies just naturally would take an enormous amount of time to evolve, but but what happens as we start um, integrating ourselves more and more with with the machines and with artificial intelligence? And right now, it doesn't look look too terribly great because we're at the beginning stages of that and we're really messing it up and what I mean by that is we have you know I have this cell phone right at my side that basically links me into all the knowledge of the universe and lets me communicate with practically everybody on earth and and what do people use that for they use it to troll other people on Twitter <laughs> yeah I know I mean that's what I'm saying we, we're really not a civilized culture and I'm not just I'm talking about not just the I'm talking about the entire world I mean that all you use your cell phone for is to take pictures and to be uh, uh, to hide behind to send nasty comments to somebody and to uh, it, let, come on you guys you, you, there's so much stuff that it, communication is so important we have this incredible tool of communication and what are we doing it with it we're abusing it 
all that stuff still the thing the thing we always fail that I always think people fail to realize is whenever they stop and they say well this is awful because they don't realize that by just as they're saying that the technology and things are advancing past where they're talking about very very quickly so even as as we think okay well look where social media has gotten us and look how terrible that is it's like virtual reality with you know the the headsets and and you know being able to basically put yourself in a in a in a real virtual environment that's all coming and then there's going to be you know things beyond that where some of this is going to be very integrated just you know with your own brain that you're be, going to be able to control things without even having physical controls that you have to type or game controllers things you, you know you can just the devices will be so sensitive that they will simply read kind of your brain waves and, and be able to um, manipulate things beyond so all that stuff is coming very very quickly so by the time you stop to complain about how we misuse one thing the next thing is going to be here so and again you don't know where those things are going to go off and in what directions and whether they're going to make things worse or whether they're going to make things better um, you know you, you just basically have to be engaged with you know we're, we're, we're riding a wave on a surfboard and you know we're going down a whitewater river and um, you know if you if you want the world to to use that well and um, you know, advance like you said, advance to a civilization of of um, equality and justice and diversity and that sort of thing. You you have to be one of the people who steps up and, and works it and um, you know sees it, sees how these things can be used for the good. Yeah, the greater good. <laughs> that's not from Star Trek. That's from Xena. Um. There you go. <laughs> You know, it's a great show. It was, it was. I love, I, I love, yeah, I, I love the musicals. I know Zima did at least one musical episode, but I, I, I love when, when uh, those shows do their musical episodes because it looks like it's so much fun for the actors, and they're the ones you always remember. So you know, anybody time says somebody says Zena, I remember their musical episode. They had two. They had two. One was they two. Yeah. The, the one was the one where um, Gabrielle and Zena were hating each other, and they mm-hmm. got, went into the world of Illusia, and they they all sang in order to get their self back into the right track. And then the other one is sort of like Bye Bye Birdie. Um, okay. <laughs> it was the Battle of the Bands, and it was um, Harpsichord's Liar. And it was called Liar, Liar, Hearts on Fire. And I think that was Lucy's favorite episode, even though she was, okay. I, well, she was very pregnant. Um, but but uh, she all she had to do was sing the whole time. Did very little dancing. Because <laughs> she hated dancing. There was another episode that was a sort of a musical episode that was a dancing episode, like Footloose kind of thing. And that okay. one uh, Lucy hated because... She, her and um, I think it was no her and Bruce Campbell were not too thrilled about the dancing part of the episode <laughs> um, but Ga- uh, Gab- Renee O'Connor is a dancer so she loved that <laughs> but yeah uh, in fact she uh, there's one Part of that episode where Bruce Campbell has Lucy up in the air and he's he's twirling her, and she almost threw up all over him. Oh. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, I I just I uh, yeah I love those episodes because I that's one of the reasons I love that show is because you never kn- knew what the episode was going to be if you were just watching the series as it went. One would be a comedy, another would be a drama, another would be a melodrama, another would be a slapstick comedy, another would be a musical. I mean, it, you never knew what you were going to get. You, they, they'd have time travel, they would have, um, uh, all, they had a whole episode that was set in the 1940s. I mean, you just, you never knew what was going to happen. And I, that kind of show, with that kind of imagination, I love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. Um, uh, just going back on the musical, the latest musical episode that I've seen is I don't know if you've seen the show called Lucifer, um, but they they did a musical uh, episode, and and like I said, it just seems like the uh, actors have have so much fun doing that, or at least at least it, it's memorable. So right, I I never watched. I'm, I'm a big Tom Ellis fan because of Miranda, but okay. I never I never actually saw Lucifer. Because part of it was on Netflix and I don't have it. Ah, uh, but um, he's a musical guy, so that actually uh-huh. makes a lot of sense because he sings, he dances, he plays instruments. He's a very musical person, so that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yes, and, and you never you never know whether the the actors are petitioning behind the scenes like when do we get to do our musical episode? And it's like oh, okay, we'll we'll work one in there somewhere. Well, there was a show that was on in the '90s called Designing Women. Mm-hmm. And uh, the politics of the show was very liberal, but Dixie Carter was very conservative. So she negotiated that every time she had to do a liberal speech, that she got to sing a song. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that, that, that's, a, that's a very nice imaginative way to, uh, and creative way to uh, to to negotiate and, and deal with different you know, viewpoints and opinions. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to be that way, it's like, you, you get to, when you get to do your soapbox thing, I get to sing a song. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. Because, well, Dixie had a great voice, and she loved to sing, so it, it wasn't like the audience was going to suffer from Dixie singing. <laughs> but I, I would, but I think it was actually Linda Bloodworth who wrote the episodes that drove Dixie crazy, who actually told the story on Dixie. Um <laughs> <laughs> that then she goes, ah, uh, yeah. She came to me and she said, if I have to do another one of your darn speeches, you're gonna have to make me. You gotta, you gotta have some songs in there for me. <laughs> That's a very creative way to uh, to to handle situations like that. See, that we need our politicians need to do that, not not stand up and yell at one another, but but figure out how to make deals like that. It's like, okay, if you get to do this, uh, let's. Say we get we get this this thing here, and you know we'll both be equally unhappy, and we'll both be equally happy. But well, I mean the thing is, and this is something that I find really interesting. It's like we've gone backwards, but politicians always hated each other. Okay, there was always fights. They always had uh, animosities. There were back in the days of the early um, re- republic, I guess you could call us. Um, back in the early days, uh, dueling was illegal, and politicians had duels. I mean, that's how Hamilton died—was a duel. Mm-hmm. 
So it's always been that way. But the way they dealt with it and they moved forward was uh, civility with each other. They used civil language. They were, um, uh, they used, um, uh, what do you call it? Compromise. Uh, they compromised, and Benjamin Franklin's favorite word, they were diploma diplomatic. They diplomatic. Used dipl they used diplomacy. And that's how they were able to move forward in the Continental Congress, in, in early Congress, bef um, before there were ever Republicans or Democrats, when there were Whigs, and I can't remember what the other party was back then. Um, uh, but they that's how they made progress, is those three things. I think we need to go back to it. Hmm? <laughs> I oh, think the world would, uh, uh, not just us, but the rest of the world, if we were more civil and we used diplomacy and we compromised, I think the world would be better. <laughs> well, the thing that, that people, I don't know why they just don't realize this, it's so simple to realize, but even if you just like divided American politics into Democrats and Republicans, which it isn't, it's more complex than that. Yeah. But if one side if one side had its its um, uh, wishes or druthers and just said, well, I'm just all the other side's just going to go away. Well, the economy would collapse. Mm -hmm. um, do you think you're going to just make the country work with ha with half of us not there? <laughs> it's it's like you don't have the same world. You don't have the same wealth you don't have the same abilities you don't have you know you're you're going to be in a much more horrible place because you might have a large number you know half just for easy sake half the people who don't agree with you but you need them they're the people who are donating blood they're the people who are putting fires out they're the people who are you know it, it's like the you, you can't just do that you can't just say and and we will be in charge and, and everybody will listen to us. That's, that's not going to work. And, and uh, also, the same thing with also, there are also the people who work for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello. It's the same thing with countries. It's like, it's like there are no countries, you know, it's, it's like, you know, Russia can't just say, well, the rest of the world will, if we could just eliminate the rest of the world, everything would be fine. No, it wouldn't. It'd be living in houses made out of, you know, bones and bear skins. It's like, you can't, you can't just make the rest of the world go away and and then have your you know uh, super wonderful utopia in your mind because the rest of the world is what gives you any of the living that you have anyway. You have to have trade. You have to be selling things. You have to be engaging, you know, in the economy. Um, otherwise, you're just going to sink back into you know the 18th century or something. It's like all of these people have to realize it's like, yeah, it's uncomfortable. There's a whole bunch of people who don't agree with me. And in fact, I think their ideas are rather strange and archaic and, and, and horrible. You know, I think, I think their ideas are horrible for humanity, but you know, I still have to live with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, there, there still has to be some way to civilly live in the same society because that person whose political ideas may be totally opposite mine and 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 they may think you know things that 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 i just can't even fathom why they would would think that they may be the person who shows up to put the fire out when my house catches fire um you know they they may say save me you know from that burning building it's 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 like you can't just you know say and 
you know the rest of the world is evil and I, I I must make it go away or conquer it or something. It's like you have to find find ways to live live with people. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying. Civility, compromise, and diplomacy. It, it's the way to do it, and it's it's simple, but it's effective, and it's been effective that we've lost it. And we're having all these problems because we lost it. We have Congress standing absolutely still because they don't they they're so embedded into whatever their different philosophies and thought processes are, and they absolutely refuse to compromise. But without compromise, there's no movement. Yep, it's that absolutely. simple. But. You know everything, like you were saying earlier. Things are waves, and things things are cyclic, and um, you know we'll we'll see how it goes. And and uh, the pendulum may swing back the other way a little bit towards civility once you know people get their fill of well, this doesn't work. Um, it makes sense. Just have, uh, we'll just have to see. We've come to the part where you get to talk about like Kickstarter and stuff like that. Okay, we'll just we'll give you a real quick thing so we're not boring everybody. But yes, yeah, so um, Dreamforge Magazine, we're having a Kickstarter. It actually started on May 15th, and we funded to our goal within just a few days. And so um, since we managed to do that miracle, um, we decided to have our first stretch goal. And our stretch goal is to um, uh, essentially raise our pay rate for original fiction. So we're, we've been at six cents for the last year or so, six cents a word. And um, if we make our stretch goal before um, we close on, on June 13th, we're going to permanently raise our pay rate to seven cents a word. And if things continue to go swimmingly into next year, we hope to get up to what uh, CIFWA, Science Fiction Writers of America, considers uh, pro rate, which is eight cents. We hope to have that as a goal for like next year. Um, but so, so that's going well, and we encourage anyone who wants a print subscription, which we do again through this Kickstarter, and uh, people who subscribe you also get uh, ebooks going all the way back to the first issue so you know there are a lot of good rewards uh, for pledging for us and you just need to take a look at that um, uh, dreamforgemagazine.com uh, backslash kickstarter will get you there um, that that page uh, gives you the links you need to, to get into the kickstarter um, let's see so so that's our kickstarter which is going really cool um, one of the things we're doing this year is we just started what we call the dreamforge channel where we're going to be doing interviews and we're going to be talking about uh, science-y things like we've, you and I have been talking about today and cultural things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're really happy that, um, Sherry, you're going to be one of our, our first guests on our Dreamforge channel. I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. <laughs> we get we get to continue this kind of conversation. That's always cool. <laughs> yeah. And and we get to focus on you, so we get we're gonna we're gonna hear more about your your creative adventures and and things that you're doing with your um, with your plays and that sort of thing and your books. So uh, everybody who's listening to this should um, then look for the Dreamforge channel and look for uh, my interview with Sherry. Yay! Thank you for inviting me. That's really sweet of you and kind. <laughs> oh no problem, no problem at all. We're just learning the ropes, and you, we know you'll be really friendly and easy with us when we make all kinds of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank God that people do that. <laughs> I learned the hard way, so, yeah. It's good when people are kind. Kindness is a good thing. 
in the in the first interview I tried, I pressed the wrong button and blew out my mic, so I had to get a new mic. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I haven't. I I've had I've had problems, but that was a, that's a new one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you're not supposed to play sound out of your microphone. <laughs> oh my god! Is that what you were doing? That's what I did. Oh yeah. no! Oh no! Yeah, that would blow out a mic. They're very sensitive <laughs> objects. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the interview. It should be fun. Cool. Uh, um, and is uh, you, what's your website and how do people get in touch with you? And what's your social okay. media? Um, okay. Um, our website is dreamforgemagazine.com, which is a very easy, easy way to get to us. And from there, you will find links to all of our social media on Facebook. Most of our things just end in Dreamforge, like uh, I think it's like Facebook uh, slash Dreamforge and um, Twitter might be Dreamforge Mag sort of thing. But if you go to Dreamforge.com, all the buttons are there and, and you can get to our social media um, areas. And, and the website also gives you a link into our reader's portal because we have another place that essentially is all – most of our fiction is all free online. The things people pay for in subscriptions are, are e-books. And um, to uh, you know, get a print subscription and and get some access to some extra content and that sort of thing. But anybody who just wants to read our stuff, go to our website. Um, you'll see you know links to to get into the readers portal where you can look at the issues and and read some of our very fine stories. Cool. Uh, um, thank you for coming on. Um, I I hope you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> oh wow, it's wonderful talking to you. It, it, it it is very chatty. Yeah, well, <laughs> we get to chat. It's wonderful. That's why we call it Chatty Missouri because I'm chatty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Sherry. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.